So stress is inherent to the human condition. Stress can wreak havoc on our mental health and physical health, but it doesn't have to be that way. Hello, I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. Well, thanks, Chess. Yeah, there's no doubt life can be complicated, messy, and, well, downright hard at times. And our guest today is going to give us strategies to navigate it. As always, we hope the time you spend with us will help reduce the stigma of anxiety at work and in your personal life. And with us is our new friend, Dr. Robin Henley Defoe. She is the author of the new book, Stress Wisely, How to Be Well in an Unwell World. Robin is a resilience expert, author, speaker, and multi-award winning education and psychology instructor. She specializes in resilience, in resiliency, navigating stress and change, personal wellness in the workplace, and optimal performance, both personal and organizational. She asserts that stress is a part of life and something we can and should plan for in order to regulate ourselves. Dr. Robin, we are delighted to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm very excited to spend time with you both. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again for Robin for being here. Let's start with this big idea of stress. Uh, something Chester and I don't really know much about, so <laughs> you'll have to help us understand. Yeah. So, what does it mean to stress wisely? I'm sure when you you went to the publisher, they were like, uh, "Come on, how can you stress wisely?" <laughs> so, so tell us, walk us through this, and how we prepare for when the storms hit. Yeah, I appreciate that question. You're absolutely right. Whenever people hear that idea about stress wisely, is that even possible? <laughs> uh, my invitation is, we'll see. Let me, let's me let have this conversation. So I think the first kind of big idea that I wanted to share in this work and in this research was something that I came upon where the reality is that stress is inherent to the human condition. It's actually how our, our biology and our physiology actually works is we work with this nervous system that keeps us alive. It's our first line of defense. It's so important. Yet, when I'd work with groups all over the world, the usually the ask they would have for me is how do I take the, how do we make the stress free for our employees? Or how do we minimize the stress? Or how do we get rid of it? And what I realized is that if we're trying to work against our biology, that's basically a losing game. The idea came to me that we really have to think about strategies to make stress our ally, not our enemy. And if we learn how to work with our nervous system, we can be pretty unstoppable in most situations. Isn't that interesting? Make, make stress your ally, you know? Um, it, it's so interesting. I have to share a cute little story. You know, there was a, a big movement in our communities and whatnot to, to support, you know, the fringe uh, people in the community. And so we had these buttons that would say ally mm -hmm. on them. And I'll never forget, a guy came up to me and he said, uh, who's Ally? And oh, why are, you, why are you wearing your button? Said, it goes a little deeper than that, but thanks. You know, so whenever anybody says ally, I always think of the uh, the button moment. Um, listen, so clearly we get this wrong, you know, yeah. and so what do most of us get wrong about managing stress and what needs to change in our lives to focus on stress and wellness? Mm -hmm. Does that it's make great, sense? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So I think that kind of, again, the idea being is that, you know, trying to live stress-free or stress-less 
Like that's not even, that's not even possible, right? Because again, this is how we are designed. So it's actually figuring out, learning about ourselves, like building up that self-awareness so we can recognize when we're kind of shifting into that place of what we call in the research, like distress, where all of these stressors become so overwhelming, it actually starts to impact performance. It impacts relationships. It impacts our overall sense of wellness. So again, it's not trying to get rid of it, but it's just being like more proactive of recognizing when am I starting to find myself in these places of overwhelm or distress? And what's my next right move in that moment? And one of the ways that we connect this with wellness is the idea that us feeling well and having true wellness, it's not as far away as we think it is. I think so often we think it's like a boot camp or it's like a, I have to, you know, sell everything and move to the woods, right? Like it's just kind of this idea we have to do these monumental shifts to feel healthy and strong and grounded and steady. But what we're actually seeing in our research, it's like, it's just one right decision. And when we start to build these like little micro wins, the consistency compounds and people actually feel better today. It's not something that's tomorrow or out of reach. Excellent. Well, you know, last night, so I'm trying to come back so we can interview <laughs> you, trying to come back yes. from the other side of the country. And of course, you know, what, what happens in an airport, your flight yep. gets delayed. So I'm two hours late. I'm getting more and more, more stressed, yeah. uh, like I have any control over anything. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, sitting in the, you know, the, the Sky Club, you know, listening to a poor mom who's been trying to get home all day with a yeah. baby and a toddler. And, you know, and I realized, okay, my, my life's not as bad. But but we do that a little bit, don't we? We, we? we stress about things that we have absolutely no control over. Oh, you're absolutely right. And that's normal, right? Like it's so normal and our system is designed to identify threat. So all yeah. of a sudden you see a flight delay, all of a sudden our nervous system says, okay, well, that's a threat to my plans. That's a threat to how I think my day is supposed to unfold. And again, recognizing like, yeah, it's cueing me. It's giving me data that, hey, this is an interruption. But instead of then just kind of like taking that kind of all or nothing approach where, you know, the rest of my day obviously is going to go to hell in a handbasket. And then we just let it build and kind of get away from us. We just first notice like, yeah, okay, this is disappointing. This yeah. is a disruption. And one of the things, especially in like environments like you just described, like an airport. Yeah. There's something so remarkable when you can hold this like deep level of calm when everyone else is freaking out, right? Like you almost just become like the observer to the chaos or like the mayhem. And like, I tell you, nothing to me feels as good in those situations when like everyone's losing their marbles and you're just sitting there just like doing your thing. Right. You're just kind of like, you know what, this is not yeah. going to make or break my ability to show up for my family. This is not going to like make it so I lose the roof over my head. And you yeah. know what? At the end of the day, I know how to make yeah. what matters most matter most. And this is just an interruption. It is not the end of it. Well, and I, and I, you know, I was, I was sitting in a rocking chair. So there's nothing like a stressed guy sitting in a rocking chair. You know? <laughs> I don't know why they put rocking chairs in airports now, but you know, it didn't help. <laughs> but yeah, doing what you did suggests, you know, did help and realizing, yeah, I look, I have no, you know, I, I have no control over this. Now you say in the book that fine got us into this situation, which I thought was really fun. You know, it's like, because we do, we do that all the time, right? How you doing? Fine. Fine. We got to dig below the fine, uh, but that takes some level of trust to get people to open up. Talk about that. Yeah, I love that question. Thank you. And it's interesting because, you know, some people, when they ask us, how are you? 
we do give them fine and that actually makes sense because they're not actually invested in us, right? Like they're, they don't actually care. So using pleasantries like, yeah, I'm fine. That's totally appropriate. But what I really encourage people is that you want to have some like folks in your corner that when they say like, how are you? It's actually you hear like, how are you really? And that's <laughs> when we can say, you know what? Overwhelmed. I'm feeling a bit burned out. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling, you know, or hey, you know what? My work has gone so well this week. I've had so many wins and I'm so proud of these achievements because what we do is not only just minimize the bad stuff, we minimize the good stuff because a lot of us don't want to come across as being like boastful or like ego driven. So we minimize the wins. So instead we're just putting ourselves in this really awkward, disingenuine place of just fine. Um, and I just think there's so many more conversations with the right people that could actually change how we're feeling and how we're showing up for one another. So funny you mentioned that. I had fun with a friend of mine not too long ago and he said, Hey, how you doing? I said, do you really want to know? I love and he, that. Yeah. And, and he said, no. I said, doing fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So true. Like, and again, I just think that's so important that we actually just get like radical clarity on like, who is it that we show up for and who is it that's in our corner and who are we for those other people as well? I know, for example, as a mom of three teenagers and I travel a lot with my work, one of the kind of key questions I ask myself when I come home, I'm so mindful of this idea that I can't be everything to everyone all at, like, all at the same time. So one of the questions I ask myself is who needs me on my A game right now? Like who needs me right now? And like, again, it's just this clarity of like, it's not that I don't show up for the other people in my family, but if I know somebody, you know, has a tryout or some, something's not going great for someone, or there's, you know, really overwhelmed with school, I just, it just puts me in that mindset that again, I can show up and have that one critical conversation with that person who needs me the most. And then, and then we're good. And we just, again, braid all those together into a week, into a month, into a year. And we end up realizing we're doing pretty okay. And uh, that's a lot better than fine. Uh, that is such great advice. Who, who needs me the most right now? Now, you know, in your book, you do talk about seven healthy coping mechanisms for stress, you know, in your life. Uh, can you share a couple of your favorites maybe that we haven't covered already? Yeah, for sure. So I, again, I think what's so important is we just we just get really good like clarity of like, what is it that actually helps us feel better? And I'll share with you, I talk to so many persons who say to me like, okay, so if we think about like physical wellness and they'll say, okay, Robin, like I hate going to the gym. I hate running. Like I hate these things, but like, man, but don't worry, I got them in. My question for them would be like, well, why are you choosing to do those things? And it's like, well, it looks like everybody has a Peloton. It looks like everybody does CrossFit. It looks like everybody does intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, but is it working for you? And it's like, well, there's not a one solution for everyone. So again, it's just getting clarity where it's like, well, if we actually look at the research, and this is a very dear friend of my Dr. Greg Wells, who's an amazing physiologist. If we actually look for longevity, walking, walking is the absolute best long-term physical activity that we can do for optimal wellness. And yet it's one of those things where if you said to somebody like, oh, what's your fitness program? It's like, I walk. They'll be like, well, that's not enough. It's like, well, interestingly, the research actually shows that it is, especially Chester and Andrew, when we have really tired nervous systems. So if you think about it, if your nervous system is burned out and depleted and weary, and then the way that you kind of show up for it is you like beat it into submission in the gym, 
that actually creates more stress on your body, <laughs> right? So it's like actually going out for a walk. And what can we do to amplify the benefits of the walk? You can do it listening to music. You can do it walking with a friend. You can do it in nature. You can do it like, again, this idea of like, okay, we know the walk is the benefit. Now amplify it the best that you can. Leave the cell phone behind. And recently I was working with a senior leader and he said, well, Robin, if I leave my cell phone behind, what happens if there was like an emergency? And I assured him that the other 7 billion people on our planet have their cell phones. So someone will call for help. Like, you don't have to worry about it. Um, you know, I know there's no more pay phones, but there's enough people. Just find a teenager or a toddler. They'll have a cell phone and call for help. Right. So even just like getting away from the tech for a wee while, go for that walk, listen to the music, whatever it is. Those are the things that I really see make the biggest sustainable change and difference. And, you know, you just blew up uh, most of our listeners' strategy on helping with stress, right? Because we do. We go to the gym and you just want to beat it out of yourself, you yeah. know. Um, on, on the cell phone thing, which is so interesting, you know, leave your cell phone behind. Well, what if there's an emergency? Say, well, how many times have you been on a walk or working out where somebody calls you with an emergency? Say, well, never. But I'm convinced it's because I had my cell phone. <laughs> you know, wait a minute. If there's no cause, that's not the way it works. Isn't it interesting that those simple things, those simple rituals, uh, like you say, get out into nature, breathe the outside air. Uh, it's, is, is, I, I am a, such a huge fan of that. And even knowing that, I don't do it as often as I should. So what, what, what do you say to people? You know, how do you get that ritual? How do you get that, you know, discipline? Is it because it, it, you know, I say I do walk. I walk two, three times a year. <laughs> yeah, go, well, exactly. that's clearly not enough, you know. Yeah. Well, I, well, first, I think when people when people are thinking about like how do we have any real sustainable behavioral change, we want to actually like tap into that idea around our identity, right? Like I am somebody who walks every day, no matter what, rain, shine, snow, doesn't matter. I am somebody who like it's part of who I am. This is part of what I do, and so when we start like it's the same as like deciding like I'm a person who takes stairs. Right. Like, so it's not like I'll take stairs when it's convenient or when it's accessible. It's like literally it's just you make the rule. If, you know what? If it's below five floors, I take stairs. If it's above five floors, I'm going to give myself a break and I'm going to take the elevator. Right. So even just having just these like this is who I am and this is how I show up in my day, I think is a big one. And when we start to build like these routines or even these rituals or this rhythm to our day, then it doesn't require as much discipline because it's just something that we do. And I give people the example, it's like, I'm somebody who loves to drink coffee. When people ask me like, what are your hobbies? I say drinking coffee and avoiding difficult conversations. Like those are, <laughs> those are my hobbies. Those are what I like, I do for personal reasons, right? And so if you think about drinking coffee, right? That's a habit, right? I don't have to like work too hard to find it. It's just what I do because it's just part of how I choose to show up in my day. So if we add walking or on the other side, one of the other huge benefits we see for wellness is actually the practices of gratitude. And often when people say to me, you know what, I've tried gratitude, but you know, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. You haven't gone deep enough because if you actually go deep enough in a gratitude practice, even simply something like, let's say you have that cup of coffee. All right. And every time you have that coffee, let's habit stack it. So you have this cup of coffee and you say in that moment, what are three new things that I'm grateful for today? What are three new things? And then you just sit with that for a moment and you do that two or three times a day. It's pretty remarkable how it changes our physiology. And just as a wee little side, if it's okay, I remember one time I got this cup of coffee and my youngest teenager said, mama, 
you're the only woman I know who says grace over a cup of coffee. <laughs> Good for I, you. I was like, yeah, I was like, you. I'm like, dude, I'm not saying grace. I'm just saying three new things that I'm grateful for this day. And he says, mama, isn't that grace? So maybe it is. But again, just these simple micro wins actually changes the forecast of our days. Love that. Hey, how can people learn more about your work, Robin? Where would you send them? Yeah, so the easiest starting place is the website, drrobin.ca. And again, I welcome these conversations to continue. So yeah, that's the best Well, spot. Well, I think, yeah, a lot of people are going to be checking you out after this and, and especially the new book. Uh, we've talked about some great strategies so far. Just as we get wrapping up here, you, you mentioned community often. Um, people who are listening may, may have anxiety. Maybe the people that they love or care for have anxiety that they, who work with them. You know, when somebody is feeling anxious, the last thing they want to do is go connect with the community. So how do you encourage them? How do you encourage people to sort of get out and find that community when maybe that's one of the last things they're really looking for, but they need? Yeah. And again, this is where under, it's a great question. And this is where like understanding our biology is so helpful because when we're in that place of anxiety or that threshold we've crossed over into distress, our natural tendency is to go inward, right? We want to like just curl up behind, you know, behind the walls of our house. We just want to like, you know, put on that blanket, the headphones, the hoodies, like watch the Netflix, right? We just literally want to just kind of shut ourselves out. But what's interesting is that's just, that's like, if we think about it, say, you know what? I realize that these are normal feelings that I'm just trying to feel safe and protected, right? Like I'm just trying to feel safe. And the reality is if I get around the right people, I can feel safe as well. And one of the reasons, one of the, you know, I think is so important to talk about community is we know that, for example, loneliness will kill you faster than a bad diet. So I'm not actually really overly concerned about nutrition and diet. I think it's something that gets over talked about in our culture. I'm more interested in people feeling lonely. And it's really hard to make friends as a grown up. It's so challenging to be to somebody, be like, go into the work, you know, go into the, you know, lunchroom at work and be like, hi, does anyone want to be my friend? Right. It's like, wow, red flag danger, right? Like this, you know, we're like stranger danger. Like we're like, this doesn't feel right. But the reality is we, we do need to get into that vulnerability of just being like, hey, does anyone else want to, you know, have, go for a walk at lunch? Does somebody else want to, you know, park in the farther parking lots? We'll walk in together in the mornings before we get into the office. Like, putting yourself out there and what's so beautiful to see about the human condition. When people ask for what they actually need and they want, people want to help. Like people want to say, yeah, I'll go for a walk with you at lunch. Yeah, I'll sit beside you in that meeting. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you to that conference. And so asking for what we need, we can't be shy about it, even though when we recognize it's normal to not feel like it, but just remembering our thoughts, like they're just thoughts, they're not directives. So just because you think you don't feel like it doesn't mean you don't have to do it. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, um, you know, we want to talk about uh, gratitude. Mm. As you might guess, a lot of our work is around gratitude. And you've said a little bit about gratitude, you know, the three things you're grateful for over your coffee. But mm. could, you, could you walk us through what you've found in managing your anxiety and stress uh, by using gratitude? Absolutely. And one of the things we see so often is, again, if we think about anxiety, anxiety very much is rooted in the future, 
right? Like it's rooted in the future. If we think about like things like depression, that's really rooted in the past, right? We feel guilty or we feel shame where anxiety is very forward focused. And what the research shows, the best antidote to anxiety is action, right? Because we can kind of outthink ourselves into a tizzy. We can think ourselves into a tizzy, so to speak. So simply recognizing when we're in a really big action or an anxious state, the best thing we can do is choose one right decision for you. So that could be having a bit of a battle plan or even just like a list that's like, when I feel like this, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna listen to this song or I'm going to call this friend or I'm gonna go get my car washed. Like literally just do something because as soon as we get a little bit of momentum, all of a sudden other things in our body start moving around, right? So we're going to, you know, let's say you do decide, you know what, I'm just going to go and go get my car washed, right? You're going to get a little dopamine released because it's a check mark of something completed. There's an obvious finish point of when you wash your car. You literally drive out and it's like, boom, something completed great, right? You get a dopamine hit for that, right? Or calling the friend, right? You get that oxytocin released as soon as you cut, you hear somebody or you hear a voice or even it's like petting a puppy, right? Being around a dog, we know releases that oxytocin as well. So when you're feeling anxious, grab that leash if you can and take that dog for a tour, it's going to all benefit you. So I hope the big idea that we're able to communicate in this research and this work is it's small, little small actions actually aren't that small after all, because this is what our best recipe is for living a good life. Yeah, I was just at a conference uh, two weeks ago, and it was a bunch of, you know, 400 uh, high-powered attorneys. And they, in the very middle, they had a little pen with puppies in it. Oh. <laughs> and so here are all these attorneys sitting down, cuddling the puppies, and yeah, very therapeutic. And I love that you say that, yeah. Hey, you've given us a lot of tactics that you use to, to be, uh, you know, successful and calm yourself. Um, this has been such a great conversation. Now, you've been studying stress for the last few years. You published this book. What one or two takeaways would you leave our listeners with today uh, that you feel like are, are so important from all the work you've done? There you go. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, the research prior to this was, you know, 20 years about human resiliency, right? So I worked with people who had gone through some of the most catastrophic life events. And what I got so curious about is certain people were able to weather those better. And that's what really opened that conversation to understanding wellness and stress and what we do before the big, bad, challenging things happened actually has so much of an impact on how we can bounce back and recover from it. So again, understanding where this kind of started and where it's gotten to. In terms of some takeaways, again, the first one, and I've already shared this, is the idea that feeling good isn't as far away as we think it is, right? Like what's that one thing that you can do in the moment to actually feel better and then slow down enough to enjoy it, like feel it, appreciate it, like be present for it. Right now we're just almost kind of in this ongoing hustle and this relentlessness of the pursuit, right? Making little moments memorable. Right. So again, creating these little rituals around these little moments in your day where it's a big deal. It could be your morning routine. It could be your sign off at the end of the day. For example, as persons that are very busy, could the last email or text message you send at the end of the day be sent out with the intention of making someone smile? Like literally end your day on a positive note of just putting some good energy into the world. And that's not woo-woo, it's science. We actually know primary recency effect. The last email you send of the day impacts your overall view of how your day actually went. 
So again, using these simple practices and those simple things are actually aren't that simple or they're not that little after all. The impact is, is significant. So great. Listen, it's been a delight to have you on the podcast. Such great wisdom, such great enthusiasm. You know, you can feel you're really passionate about this subject. And as uh, those of you that are listening know, this is Dr. Robin Henley Defoe. Her wonderful book, Stress Wisely, How to Be Well in an Unwell World. Uh, I've ordered my copy. You should order your copy, too. So good luck, uh, Dr. Robin. Sell a million, and you are really making a difference. Again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Take good care, everyone. Well, Chess, another great podcast. Um, Robin, first off, telling us, look, quit trying to minimize your stress. It's part of our human condition. Instead, yeah, be a little bit more proactive. Uh, be a little bit more sensitive about what's going on inside of us. I, I really liked her idea. Look, be proactive and get to know yourself. What are your triggers? Yeah. And then what's your plan? You know, what's your go-to? She even talked about being a battle plan. You know, when you start to feel it, what's your battle plan? What are you going to do? Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to take a minute uh, for her? Are you going to go get a cup of coffee? I thought that was really good. The idea of trying to have a stress-free environment is a ridiculous goal. It's never going to happen, yeah, right? right. So, so, so manage it. And that was a really uh, big takeaway for me. I, and I like, too, this idea of who needs me right now to have my A-game. Wasn't that great? Yeah. Because we feel like, oh, I've got to be on for everybody. No, no, you really don't. Um, but if you're if you're a good boss at work, you kind of know who might need you that day. If you're a good parent, you kind of know which kid might need you uh, or who in your family, et cetera, which friend might need you. Um, instead of being on for everybody, who needs my A-game right now? Yeah. I, I thought it was wonderful the way she said, not as far away as you think, you know, getting rid of that anxiety and that stress. It's not as far away as you think. Slow down, have a plan, go do something, do something, get that little win, get that dopamine hit, go wash the car. And I, I find this really works for me, too. It's like get to the shower, right? Get that first yeah. thing on your to do list done and, and build some momentum. I thought that was just such great advice. And that idea, too, when, you know, a psychologist is working with somebody who has hit rock bottom, sometimes it is that. It's, you know, shower. <laughs> it's yeah. just do that simple thing. And she's right. By doing that one thing, we feel like, okay, other things may be possible. So, so you're exactly right. Um, I like this idea, too, when we were talking about, you know, you asked the question about what are some of the simple strategies. Um, put things in your day that you like to do, whether it's, you know, walking or, or taking the stairs or whatever. But build that into your identity. So you go, when people say, you know, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a stair walker. Yeah, <laughs> I take the stairs. I, the stairs, I take the stairs. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's built in. And I know you do that with going for walks and I do it with, you know, working out and stuff. We build that into our identity and then it becomes something, of course I wouldn't miss doing this. Right. Uh, my last takeaway, and I thought it was wonderful where she said, make the last email of the day, the last mm -hmm. text of the day, uh, something that'll make somebody smile, you know, uh, and that she's done some research and said that last email, that last thing has a bigger impact on you than you think. So end the day on a high note, end the day on a positive note, make somebody smile. I just, I thought that was great. Oh, that was great too. You know, just the last bit of, you know, she said, you know, anxiety is 
worrying about the future, depression is worrying about the past. Um, I always think it's interesting with you that you feel guilty about what you haven't done yet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, kind of a mix. But, you know, you're a unique guy. So, hey, yeah. this has been just so great to learn from uh, from Robin and her new book, Stress Wisely. I want to thank all of you for listening in and allowing us into your uh, ears, whatever you're doing. Um, taking a walk, working out, or, uh, or, or driving. Big thanks to our producer, Brent Klein, to... Uh, putting all this together to Christy Lawrence who helps find amazing guests like Robin and to all of you who listened in. If you like the podcast, please share it. We'd also love you to visit thecultureworks.com. Free resources there, including the first chapter of that best-selling book, Anxiety at Work. Yeah, and we love to speak to audiences around the world. We do it in person. We do it virtually uh, on the topics of culture, teamwork, resilience. Give us a call. We'd love to talk to you about your next event. Well, Adrian, I always give you the last words. So another great interview. Robin brought great energy. No pressure, but end us on a high note. Well, I'll, I'll end with the, the same words that Robin just used there. Be well. We wish you the best of mental health.